You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. Steve, Kath, thanks so much for being here today. The president has declared this coronavirus crisis pandemic a national emergency. He's also said that he's a wartime president in this sense. Kath, I want to ask you, what does that actually mean, him being a wartime president? Does he mean that he's going to involve the military? Should he involve the military? Where do we stand with actually activating the military to help fight this pandemic crisis we're facing? Yeah, thanks very much, Andrew. I think when he says he's a wartime president, it's not about the role of the military per se. I think he's really trying to make this point that they're now taking the the pandemic very seriously. Obviously, the involvement of the military is a piece of that. But the way in which, at this point, the military is engaged and involved and where I project it will go at least over the next month doesn't look like war, if you will. So, So what are we seeing? Very belatedly, we are seeing the Department of Defense mobilize itself to think through all the different ways in which it can assist at the domestic level. And what you are seeing in particular in the last 24 hours is more mobilizations of National Guard units by governors. So these are military units, if you will, but they're operating in their state capacity. They have dual capacity. And so they're operating under the direction of governors and they're going to get up and do things like help with crowd control, help with setting up field hospitals, the kinds of things that you have seen the National Guard do in different types of emergencies before. The question now is whether that evolves into a greater role for that kind of military capacity. But but more, I think what you're going to see in addition to that are these specialized capabilities where DOD can do things like provide out of inventory it already has, ventilators, masks, et cetera. And we can kind of talk through what some of those other capacities are. Yeah. Do you want to take us through some of that? Sure. So um, as I said, you're going to see in terms of numbers or scale, the biggest presence of military is really going to be these National Guard units operating in state capacity that will be doing day-to-day operations that don't require specialized capabilities. So these are not doctors. These are not even mostly medical personnel of any sort. Uh, but they can help do basic logistics, move things, help with construction, et cetera. Then on top of that, I think what you're starting to see already, uh, as announced by Secretary Esper on Wednesday, is the creation of inventory availability. So he's already made available masks and ventilators and will do more of those. And he has deployed these field hospitals. In addition, there's a lot of talk about the two U.S. naval vessels, the Comfort and the Mercy, one going to each coast of the United States. They are useful, but they honestly are just more symbolic than useful. They definitely have utility, but we're getting a little hyper-focused in the media on these two ships. They're going to take a while to ready. They provide bed space but they're going to move slowly. And in the interim, there are a lot of other things that DOD can and I think is going to start 
moving these field hospitals, as I mentioned. You also have the Air Force has flyaway medical teams that are much more expeditionary, meaning they can move quickly and in small numbers. And I think even at these guard unit levels, you're going to start to see some of the medical community present in there. There's much more medical capacity in what's called the Army Reserve in particular, and the Navy Reserve have quite a bit of medical capability. So um, those are some of the other pieces. Finally, you saw the president announce that he was going to invoke what's called the Defense Production Act. And this DPA is an authorization that allows the U.S. government to work with industry bypassing orders they might already be working on to put in front of them materials and goods that are important to the national emergency. So this is where you could see more masks being ordered and put in priority for manufacture. This is also where you might see ventilators, uh, even beds, you know, basic things that hospitals might be needing. Um, hygiene products could get put in the queue above other orders inside industry. So that will require DOD to be working closely with HHS and others to figure out what are those capacities they need now. The other piece of DPA is that if we could just look up ahead a few months, which we seem to have trouble doing, we could anticipate significant need for supply on things, of course, like test kits, let alone therapeutics. And here again, the DPA, if you started moving now on some things that require long lead time for supply, you could start to send that message to industry now that it's going to have to retool or get prepared for contracts coming down the road for significant supplies. So so, those are some of the ways in which you see DOD executing its mission now much more that can be done. We, we had a not a good experience with DOD, I think, <laughs> safe to say in Hurricane Katrina, much right. better response on the global health side to Ebola, which Steve obviously knows firsthand and has written significantly about. And, you know, we're not quite where we were for Ebola, but there's still time on the clock. I want to bring in Steve in one minute, but I, I want to ask you, Kath, you know, more than 2,000 members of the National Guard have been activated at this point across 27 states. And the Pentagon expects that to double by the end of the weekend and then mushroom from there. The head of the the National Guard said today, it's like we have 54 separate hurricanes in every state and the District of Columbia. Are they prepared to handle it this time around? Well, I don't think we know is my honest answer. And I think it's important to, again, make sure we use them the right way thinking about the National Guard members and and even the general military, even if you got to a point where the U.S. military in its active component was widely deployed. You know, these are largely 18 to 24 year olds who are not trained to do a counter-infectious disease operation of any kind. What they are trained to do is hold order and good discipline. If you ask them to uh, construct something that someone else has designed, they can follow orders and they can put muscle to an approach. And they bring a lot of order so they can also be used to help set up things like state or even with FEMA regional response headquarters, really good on commanding control. So that includes even the communications equipment and cyber assistance, things of that sort. What they are not going to be able to do is substitute for quality civilian medical leadership. 
or the lead of the White House, even at the national level, obviously, you're going to need HHS and the White House to really give the direction that the military can follow. Steve, I want to bring you into this discussion. Thanks. I wanted to add a few points to the excellent overview that Kath provided. First of all, keep in mind where we are right now. This pandemic is racing ahead. We are getting ourselves organized very, very late. We've had serious confusion, disarray, incoherence, and incompetence in our response. And now the president is suddenly getting religion on all of this at the middle of this week and seeking to regain credibility and to assure a public that is highly anxious right now, highly anxious that we're going to see an Italy-like situation appear and it's going to swamp our facilities and we'll have high mortality rates and we'll have critical gaps around beds, ICU units, protective gear, skilled personnel, and the like. And so I don't find it at all surprising in the middle of this mad scramble that we're exploring tentatively, and I think, as Kath said, pretty judiciously, what can DOD, what can the National Guards present? That's the first point. On the ships, these ships have, I think, a very big psychological effect. Their operational impact They have 500 beds. They're not fitted out for infectious diseases, but people can sleep there. They have helicopter pads. When you park one of these in the New York Harbor, it brings back memories of 9-11 when that happened. It reassures a public. It reassures governors. And, And I think this is a very deliberate and conscious thing. There's no question about the validity and legitimacy of, of taking action. It doesn't defy the civilian authorities or overstep them at all. So that's very important. The order of response in these situations is for the governors to lead with their National Guard units. And if they begin to to fall short or fail, then try to turn to the military. So if you look back in Katrina, we saw that pattern. That was a single city. Sandy, we saw it happen. That was the Northeast region. Here we have coronavirus, it's a national scaled thing. And so I think it's quite natural that the military is going to look at this and say, let's hang back and see what happens in these National Guard units deployed all across the country. Let's hold in reserve the limited capacities we have to apply them in those places where they're going to be most critically needed. The last point I want to make is if we need a lot of construction and emergency crash creation of beds and, and, and other units. That's something that that should be done by contractors that are underemployed. And okay, maybe we call on the Army Corps of Engineers to contract some, but they're not alone. There's plenty of cash coming in through the supplementals, and there's plenty of people whose employment status is now in peril. So I think the response naturally should be turning towards maximizing getting people who are out of work back to work. And that doesn't require turning to the military. So let me ask both of you, what do you think the military should be doing right now that it's not doing? Kath, you want to start on that? Yeah. I mean, I think in all the areas I've described, they're moving very slowly and overly carefully. So I think what I would say right up front is they need to be tied in very closely and then pushing if they're not seeing it happen otherwise 
What is the plan two days, one week, two months, six months down the road? And there, I think there are a lot of opportunities for DOD to be doing more. So I don't want to wade in too much to the health specifics because I'm not a healthcare professional, but you absolutely can imagine things like test kit questions. Are there ways to leverage DPA now, this authority now, to start producing either the test kits themselves or supporting capabilities there. Obviously, masks and ventilators. It's great that Secretary Esper has released inventory. No reason that should have waited this long. But we can also start creating, generating more of this capacity because if we're looking two months down the road and we need just, you know, we still need, I'm assuming, many masks, et cetera, and ventilators, let's get that production moving. So Things that they're already, I think they're moving on the right avenues, but they're not moving terribly fast. And I think it's because they're uh, just not thinking on a scale of what we're experiencing and importantly, what we can expect to experience going forward. Other areas, I mentioned the field hospitals. I think there's a lot of tenting and triage capacity inside the community of DOD, in the active duty core of medical professionals, it does sound like there might be a bit of excess medic capability. So again, very basic level, not necessarily the doctors, but other medical personnel who can help hospitals work with non-infectious cases. Military personnel are generally stronger on areas like trauma, Believe it or not, obstetrics is another strong area for the U.S. active duty and reserve medical community. So there are offload potentials that if we can get some planning underway, we can start thinking about how to apply our medical personnel from the military. I'll caveat that by saying the vast majority of those, not all of them, but the vast majority of those are in the reserve component and they are already serving in the civilian medical community. So we don't want to cut off our nose to spite our face by pulling people who are already on the front lines into a military capacity, taking them out of hospitals where they're needed. So there's a lot of careful work that has to be done that can be done now to start planning out those approaches. And then I think as we think ahead to things like test facilities, uh, if we're going to do drive-through testing, this is an area where your run-of-the-mill infantry officer, National Guard person can absolutely help think through how we stage that, set that up, run it peaceably so people are being seen fairly and in turn to get things like tests done. These are areas where I think the military can really help. Steve, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that we, the military will be very important in several of the acute crisis areas, and it would be best to be thinking ahead around where those are going to be. We have an effort underway within CDC to map out by uh, localities, you know, we have 2,800 public health constituencies or jurisdictions in the United States that are looking at those that are the most acutely vulnerable according to the demographics, the age groups, the um, comorbidities, whether they are very, very weak capacities or the like. They're trying to predict where we're going to see the worst fatalities, the worst swamping of the health systems, the areas where this type of quick intervention um, is going to be helpful. Um, That's one thing I would say. Another is that we're starting to see 
in the midst of this continued testing fiasco in this country, we're seeing first responders getting infected at a pretty high rate. Uh, and that includes people who are driving ambulances or fire, de- you know, fire departments and the like. We're going to face this problem with, with our National Guard folks. We're going to face it with any military. The military of all institutions is certainly better prepared for dealing with infectious disease than the civilian sector. But if, you're, if we're operating in an environment where there's a weak, imperfect testing capacity and it's a bit chaotic, it's going to be dangerous and we need to, we need to think ahead about that. The military is going to have to pick its spots, I believe, and and those are going to be uh, some areas that plausibly could begin to look like those urban centers in Lombardy that take off and become very, very difficult. And that's where you're seeing deployment of gendarmes and and others, and that's where you're seeing rioting, uh, which gets me to the other point, which is we need to think ahead about the possibility that in the midst of very swiftly escalating unemployment and people being put into desperate, uh, into desperate straits before the stimulus bill begins to add some more cushion or social net to people. And we have a escalating fatality and grave extreme illness with no place to go in some of these environments. Uh, And you have some kind of social distancing that could be more coercive, like shelter-in-place, which calls for people to comply with that. Uh, under stress, compliance can give away, give way very, very rapidly, and we can have social disorder. That poses, obviously, very sensitive and complicated issues for U.S. military. Yeah, and if I can just jump on that, I think this is why you see so many of us in the defense community trying to be really careful. This might explain in some ways, in addition to the obvious politics of the president's preferences, why DOD has been pretty quiet. It's not excusable, but you have this concern about a jump to something that looks more like a martial law, Chinese approach, if you will, of throwing the, in their case, the PLA People's Liberation Army into everything. That's not how we have operated in the U.S. Yes, it can happen. There are absolutely authorities that allow us to get to that point. But this is why this National Guard structure that we have historically relied upon as our militia, if you will, under the control in a a federated constitutional sense of the governors is the right first step for augmenting local, meaning like law enforcement, local government, first responders, policemen, firemen, you name it. That's where the guard's most useful. But I think, as Steve may be hinting toward, you know, there is absolutely planning needed to consider extreme cases that we hope not to get to where that will also be overwhelmed. The Department of Defense will have other considerations, of course, in that, most important among which is its readiness to deal with an external threat where the United States should not get itself to a point where our military is first sick and second, not trained and ready to deal with external threats because we're focused here. And so you don't want to create opportunities for a country like I'm just going to pick on ones that have been really opportunistic, like a Russia or someone else who wants to dash across a border 
or um, seize a U.S. vessel. I mean, you can think of a number of things that could happen in the midst of the U.S. focusing solely at home. So that's the other piece that I think DOD is trying to work through. How do they make clear that they are here in a whole of nation response focused on the American people, but also watching, being watchful toward their main mission in terms of readying their own capability? Kath, as a former senior DOD official, how do you think about the messages that sending the U.S. military out on issue like this sends to the U.S. people? Yeah, I think Steve made a great point before about the two U.S. naval hospital ships. Like aircraft carriers, they have historically been really valuable at, at walking this fine line. They're, they're offshore. It's not you know, troops in the streets. It's a reassuring white-coated hospital presence that demonstrates very clearly, first, it has real operational capability, and it also very importantly demonstrates the commitment of the military to support the American people. So thinking carefully about things like that, providing specific capability, the release of the inventory, excess inventory we already had, these are really good, easy approaches. They're just really late. Harder is when we move first for the governors to move to the use of the guard in law enforcement. So if you had something like quarantines or other areas where you're starting to think about their use in, as we did with the LA riots, you know, ways in which we have to think about law and order, that's a little harder on the messaging, but it's easier if it's in the governor's role. And then really hard, I think, is thinking about things that just feel very anti-American in terms of countering insurrections, if you will, as we did in the 18th and 19th century. And if you think about things like post-Civil War reconstruction, military governance, things like that. There, there are precedents and certainly authorities for almost any outcome, but those last latter ones that I'm talking about are are really areas I don't think anyone is is particularly interested in finding ourselves in. We want the civilian capacity to really lead here. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that there is a political element to this, which is do Americans trust or some segment of Americans trust Donald Trump as commander in chief? in those latter circumstances, or might they be most comfortable with their governor having control of military capability? Kath, Steve, I want to thank you both for being here today. These are issues we're going to be facing in the days and weeks ahead, and I'm sure we'll revisit them. Thanks again for being here. Thank, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Kathleen. Yep, thanks. Thanks.